Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Frog Snacks Podcast. I am your lovable host, Frog, uh, and I'm here with my equally lovable co-host, Snacks. What up, what up? So today, uh, we were... We were treated to a nice bit of info, uh, and I thought that this would be a good bit of info to have a discussion about, because as I was saying to Snacks not long ago, when this info was dropped upon us, I was immediately struck by the fact that uh, had this info come out in February 2005 rather than February 2017, Mm -hmm. uh, it would have been a... Megaton announcement bomb. <laughs> oh my god, faces, faces were melting. Right. Uh, announcement. And that announcement is that the ESA today said that they are for the first time, well, technically not the first time, but the first time, like, flat out saying, uh, we're going to open E3. To the public, right? There is, uh, there's no, they, they, they have like in limited quality, in, in limited quantities, invited people who were not in uh, involved with the press to right, come yeah, to E three. There was some, um, yeah, prosumers, yeah. right? Whatever. But now, now it is uh, the floodgates are open. The uh, the travel man is over, and anybody can come to E three. Yes, yes, yes. We've been taken off the uh, the blacklist. And uh, anybody can get sick, even though, let's start off with the first bit of sobering reality, which is that they said there's 15,000 tickets, which means that realistically, nobody's getting them. Right. So, and and they are expensive, but we'll probably get to that. Well, I mean, it's 150 for all three days, which I mean is... I heard two... I read 250. Is 150 if you get the early set and then after, because I think they're releasing them in stages. So... The first stage of release, those will be 150. The second stage is 250. Mm-hmm. But both of them cover all three days, which is essentially PAX pricing, right? Essentially, yeah. Uh, so it's not horrible, but it's pricing. Uh, but yeah, this is this is uh, that moment. Right. Uh, but at the, sa- at the same time, it's not that moment. And that's why we're having correct. this discussion. And that's why we're having this discussion. Yes, because gamers of our generation... See, we've been talking a little bit lately about the generation gap, right? Yeah. And and this is definitely going to be another vector in that uh, in that discussion too, right? Because for mm-hmm. people of our generation, E3 is mecca, right? Yeah. E3 was was literally it. Like when the second week of June rolled around every year, you better like find your way. <laughs> I mean, you you'd anxiously wait on the magazine first of all. Yeah, uh, but then once the internet became a thing, you were anxiously finding your way to any computer screen that was linked to an internet uh, connection, and your 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 eyes were just literally pasted onto the monitor for three days. Yeah, it was your portal to the industry for for a long time, and I mean even more even more than that, it was literally where all the game announcements got dropped. I mean, we take it for granted now that people wised up and started putting things out over the course of the calendar year. But back then, like, everything was announced at E3. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the the thing is, is like... Okay, so we need to get to the... We need to get to the, the meat of the discussion, right? Like, E3 has been around for a long, long, long time. And this is why it's a generational thing, because E3 it's was around... 95, right? So in 1995, uh, I was six, right? Yep. So if you were born in 2000, right? Yep. You're heading into college soon, and E3 has always been to you like one of many, uh, you know, places where you would get your information, where information would be dropped, uh, where you could go, uh, you know, where uh, representatives of your favorite uh, public publications and websites would be going to, you know, relay this information to you. Uh, mm-hmm. But you're talking about people who are 10 years older than that. And, you know, it was for a long time it. Uh, you know, we're not, we're obviously not like stuck in the past. 10 years really isn't that long of a time. Uh, but if you Though think about an eternity in technology, exactly. So if you look at the differences in, like you said, 
if this if this news had dropped in 2005, it'd be a much bigger deal. That that is true. But if you look at, at the the movement that happened in tech from 1995 to 2005, and then from 2005 to 2015, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's it's tough because you you want to you at, at one point it's 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 impossible to look at this at this 10 year gap and not think to yourself that E3 has somewhat lost its uh, lost a little bit of its shine and lost a little bit of its importance. And that's not necessarily true, but like you said, in, in 2015 or 2017, the fact that this is open to the public is not as big of a deal anymore. And it's because we have all these other, all the, all these other things that have been open to the public since day one. I would go a bit further because I was going to say, actually, I think E3 has lost a lot of its shine uh, Mm -hmm. and it's actually going to lose a lot more of its shine in the years to come, which is why I think they're making this move now. Uh, As you said, E3 is now just one of many as opposed to being the IT conference, right? Right. So let's go through that real quick. Mm -hmm. Uh, I suppose it makes sense to start with the elephant in the room because the... The number one biggest reason why E3 is no longer, uh, you know, the big ultra important mecca of gaming is because of two gentlemen uh, who go by the names Gabe and Tycho. True. Uh, The story of PAX's creation is like one of, is possibly one of my favorite business stories, period. Because in business, as somebody who went to business school, you're constantly talking about find a market where there's an underserved need and then fill the need Mm -hmm. and they 150% nailed that as you as we noted back in early 2000s the thirst for people to go to E3 was overwhelming yeah if you frequented any kind of video game website where people could talk when E3 came around, all it was in between people having their heads exploding on announcements was, oh my god, if only I could go, I have to go. How many stories do you hear about people putting up their like $2 website just so they could go apply for press passes and go to E3? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Uh, in, in addition to other, you know, uh, shady ways of getting like, oh yeah, I work at GameStop. I'm not even a manager. I work there. And, like, try and get a pass that way. All sorts of silly things people did to try and get in the show. Because it was just so important. And people wanted to go to an event of this kind. Uh, and the ESA would not budge. Remember, oh, you also may recall that people have been bugging the ESA directly to let the public into E3. And they said absolutely not for a long time. Mm-hmm. Gabe and Tycho come along. And they say, all right. Well, we'll start a show that everybody can go to. And, I mean, the rest is history. PAX grew exponentially every year. Yeah. Uh, until they finally had to open the East Coast one, and then the South one, and then the Australia one. Mm-hmm. And now even the tabletop only offshoot coming soon to Philly, which is going to be hype. Yep. You know? Uh, and in the midst of all that, they made their own E3, right? They made their own public-facing E3. And the reason why it became such a big deal for the industry is because now you taught the publishers something different, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the old paradigm was to get attention for your game, you had to go to a big event like E3 where all the press would be and all the industry movers would be. But PAX's uh, inception meant that, no, you can come to our show and you can talk to consumers directly in addition to, you know, press and whoever will be around. Mm -hmm. So it was just, uh, I really look at PAX as like an extinction-level event for E3 because that alone proved to the games industry that there's a viable alternative to participating in the carnival of E3. It's, you know, alone. Especially because you had a lot of Another thing you'll probably remember is that a lot of like smaller game companies would complain because they'd get buried at E3. You couldn't get good coverage at E3 if you were like, you know, Natsume. 
you know, the makers of Harvest Moon. Yeah, and even and even uh, back in the day when they were talking about uh, like when in, in the book that we read, Console Wars. Even Sega didn't have a, a big presence at a lot of these, uh, you know, press-only gaming events for a while. They had to earn it. And yeah, I mean, by the, by the time E3 came around, that's when Sega started to really, you know, fail financially. So mm-hmm. these things are expensive. Yeah, but th- that's th- but that's the thing, you know, like the, E3 has been kept intentionally small in scope. Uh, right. I, I was I was impressed to find out that the that the capacity. Um, was was in like the tens of thousands and not more because it was such a big deal. But but I think uh, I think at its at its smallest in the in the mid two thousands, you I think it had guests in like the twenty thousands or something. Which yeah, is, because that was when they purposely downsized it. Yeah, and that's but that's crazy to me. Like this is E three, right? So the name has always been big, but you know, and and but here, but. So here's this, right? We have PAX, right? PAX, uh, the first PAX was in 2004, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And it's taken until 2017 for E3 to, uh, you know, start um, reworking itself in order to be a a more general video game and technology con, right? Well, that's not entirely fair because remember what we said in the beginning, they've been inching their way there over the last couple. Right. But why two things. Why the exclusivity for so long, right? Why why make such incremental movements in the face of, you know, the the David packs, right? <laughs> swinging swinging his uh thing, right, with a rock in it. Like why 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 tread so carefully towards, you know, m- meeting uh, you, know, you know, like meeting him on the battlefield. Uh, and then why all of a sudden, all at once, um, however many years, like 15, like what, like 10 years was, what has it been? 13. It's been 13 years since 2004. The 13 years after, of just like creeping ever forward baby steps, why all of a sudden the huge leap? Well, it's a couple of things. Well, first the David has become the Goliath, hasn't it? True. Uh, <clears throat> Because, like I said, I laughed. I, I heard 15,000 tickets. I was like, ha! Pack, pack sells like 100-something thousand. And that shit is still gone in like a day and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to, to your more directly to your point, uh, the ESA is a, you know, like a, a, a trade body, right? You know, a, a, uh, a special interest group for the gaming industry. Mm-hmm. They've always viewed E3 as a trade show. And of course, in the early '90s, as we recall from Console Wars, it was 1,000% a trade show. That was where they literally would sign the retailer deals. Yep. Um, so I think, for one thing, they've been loath to give up that distinction. Um, but the problem is, of course, that the world changed so dramatically around them. So that's why they were taking these incremental steps. But I think. The fire is much more under their ass these days because another thing that commenters uh, on Polygon and even on Facebook pointed out was that uh, it's not so much a problem of keeping attendees in there because attendance has been pretty consistent, but the problem now is keeping the publishers in the door because now, again, a lot of publishers are saying, well, why am I going to go compete for attention at this thing with all these other people when I could just throw my own event. EA pulled out last year, remember that? Mm -hmm. Uh, Nintendo stopped doing press conferences. Sony is now withholding most of their big stuff for PSX, their their own consumer-focused con in in December. Yeah. You know? So I think this is a way of, to, to the commenter's point, I think they're right, that this is a way of uh, of keeping publishers engaged by saying, "Hey, we too will deliver consumers directly to you." Right. So, I mean, that that's one way of looking at it. Um, which leads me to another point, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I noted the world has changed. So, PAX is a huge, 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 huge part of why E3 is where it is now. 
but we also have to think about like the changed media landscape. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the magazines and and even like the established, you know, uh, gaming press websites are so much less relevant now. We're in the world of streaming. You know, people are now going to like top streamers, the kind of people who pull like ten and fifteen thousand uh, viewers per stream. They're they're going to be central to selling games these days. You know, I can't tell you how many times I'm going to watch some of these bigger streamers, and you know they'll be playing some game, and people, how many people come in there and are like, oh, what's this? This looks cool. What is this? What is this? Is this worth buying? Should I check this out? You know, these people are now literally doing the marketing for these games just by playing them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there's so there's so much uh, visibility for for everything right now. I mean, not just games, but if anybody with any type of audience catches wind of anything that they like, it's mm-hmm. it's out there, right? Uh, the world isn't as isn't as uh, you know gated as it used to be. Perfect so, term. Yeah. So. So here, so here we have this uh, this shift, and, and I think that that makes sense. About you know, it's like, hey, listen, you're a publisher, you know, you're going to E3 for the prestige, but you think you can get more, um, you can get uh, uh, cheaper and uh, less stressful uh, publicity elsewhere, right? We'll meet you halfway. We'll we'll let fifteen thousand randos come and. You know, uh, you know, kiss your hand or whatever you want here. Though, you know, this is another interesting thing that comes up here is that this could be an opening salvo for E3, right? Mm-hmm. What if this is then the first step? What if this itself is another baby step? What if this is the opening salvo to be like, what if we rethink E3 entirely and basically make it another PAX? Well, here's here's my here's my uh, not beef, but like here's what I'm thinking about with E3, and and this is why I think um, they're like the baby steps aren't working just yet because we're already seeing such a major break from the cycle, right? Uh, we're not uh, you're not a hundred percent going to see. I talked about this uh, like two weeks ago, right? Where I was talking about the you know, the, the different, um, like the different peaks and valleys that are showing up throughout the calendar year for, for major releases, right? It's not all just holiday time anymore. So, and the same thing, and, and the same thing with announcements too, right? We're, we're not, um, we can't just expect, uh, announcements to show up in June for all of the holiday things and for everybody's plans for the following year. Like that's not how it works anymore. Right. And E3 is still only the one time of year. So, what I think would be a smarter move would be to if they if they want to uh, you know cement their place as the platform for you know bombshell announcements for all the big publishers right they need to I, like I think it'd be smart smarter for them to kind of create a uh, maybe like a living platform, right? Rather than an event, maybe like an E3, like they have the E3 event, maybe two a year, right? Like one in June and one in, I don't know, like this, like now, like, like January or February. And you have the other one on the East coast or something. And, but you create something for, uh, for, for announcements, right? Like maybe even just an E3 Twitch channel and have it run kind of the same way as like uh, as like Nintendo does their Nintendo Directs, where every couple of months or every month or how or or, or randomly, but with enough heads up, um, hey E3 channel on Twitch is going to be going live, right? And it, and they'll run it like a television show, but it'll be it'll be for announcements. Like hey, we got this thing. Like uh, we got a couple of people making some announcements. We got we got Bioware and we got. Um, we got Bioware, we got, uh, you know, maybe like a indie dev like Devolver or something and we've got, and we've got EA and, and they've got, uh, you know, we're going to do like an hour long 
show and and they're just going to make their announcements or something and whenever they can compile enough for an hour-long show they'll just do it and the e3 will like remain synonymous with this you know platform of information in in like the the big video game publishing arena right well see the problem with that though is that it runs into this core problem which is yet again if you're a publisher you name drop nintendo there Mm-hmm. you directly conflicted, right? If I'm Nintendo, why would I participate in that? I have Nintendo Directs. I see, what, I see what you mean, but I think that, like, if they were to do this thing where they would have the, the physical, like, the, the physical place alongside this thing, then maybe that'd be part of the deal. Like, hey, listen, uh, do, your, do your big releases or whatever on our, on our Twitch channel – uh, periodically, uh, and, and you get, you know, uh, like a, like a discounted rate for floor space in our thing. And, and you get the added bonus of all the free publicity that comes with it, uh, with being tied to the E3 name and with, you know, getting to meet people at these, at this, uh, twice a year thing that we have one in one in, uh, DC and one in LA or whatever. Right. Like, does that make sense? Like there has to be, what you're saying, it makes sense. It's just that I don't believe that given where we are, that those incentives can line up in a way that makes sense for either the ESA or for the game publishers involved. Hence, E3's general issue, right? Like, right. E3, as you said, if they want to be the place for bombshell announcements, frankly speaking, I don't think that that's going to hold up very much longer because the incentives are very powerful for game publishers to not have... Uh, to not have their announcements at the same time as other people are having their own, right? Uh, that's the reason, again, why Nintendo has moved to having their direct model, which has a lot of big stuff in the E3 cycle, sure, but they are drip-feeding fans information all throughout the year, uh, and most of the other publishers are doing similar things. EA has their event at E3, but they also do some kind of broadcast or whatever from packs or whatever whatever uh think about gearbox for example right we go to the gearbox panel every year at packs and they do one of those every single packs mm-hmm. so all throughout the year you're getting those um those bits of engagement they don't need e3 to do any of that the only reason that somebody would link themselves to some big broadcast is for something like the game awards uh the jeff Keeley by trying to provide an award show, right? Uh, it goes to the game publisher and says, hey, you should announce stuff on our show because we're going to have a shitload of people watching. But it's a little bit of a chicken and egg thing because it's like, well, you need interesting content to have people watch in the first place. Mm-hmm. So you know which one of those comes first. In an award show format, uh, you get that... The, 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 the proverbial egg is the fact that people are going to go to get tight at whatever game they thought should have won this award versus this one, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And then they stick around for cool announcements. So that's how the Game Awards solves that loop. But I don't see how you would solve that for E3. So are you saying that there is uh, there is no way for a trade association or uh, event uh, event running body or 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 digital platform. Uh, there is no way for any of these than any of these people or or organizations or or parties to create a symbiotic relationship with a publisher or a developer of of any noticeable uh, girth. Uh, I would say, given what we see, can always change, obviously. But given where we're clearly headed, uh, which is to a much to a much more diversified event calendar, and it only is getting more diversified every year, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the, the diversity of the events happening, I don't see how they can uh, reestablish themselves as the uh, destination. And for that reason, you know, you have to think about: it. do they even want to be that? You know, do you so, want to be well, that was, the place? Yeah, well, that's kind of like my follow-up question is of like if if they're coming to the realization that uh, that you and I are, are coming to, 
and that I'm sure a lot of other gamers are as well, that right. they can't be this thing that they used to be anymore. Right. Um, and they're saying, like, oh, okay, okay, like, we can't be this thing anymore, like, we, but we got to exist, right? So – uh, what, uh, so what do we do? We don't want to be that thing anymore. Like we've, we've given up. We're going to, we're going to get people in here, uh, just off the street, just a bunch of random people. And we're going to get them in here and, and hopefully like keep the thing afloat. They're like, what is their, what is their new business model then? If, if not, well, I mean, to me, the end game could be, who knows, but cause I mean, at the end of the day, all the companies pay dues to the ESA and then have to pay for the floor space, blah, 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 blah. But to me, I would imagine end game is. Uh, if this go- this initial effort goes well, end game I would imagine is to basically turn this into another PAX. Okay, so I mean, which is perfectly fine because there's always demand for more gaming events. Right, there there, there definitely is. But then I'm saying like, if they're gonna be, if they're just gonna be Los Angeles PAX, mm-hmm. what is stopping? Like, do do you think that the fact that PAX has already grown to the size that it's grown to? Uh, do you think that would prevent E3 as, you know, uh, PAX 2.0 from expanding anywhere? I mean, if they – what corner of the United States um, isn't currently served by either PAX or um, or E3? Because right now, I mean, geographically – The Midwest. The Midwest, right. So Chicago. So mm-hmm. they go to Chicago and that's it. But I've been saying for a, a while now, like, they should do a they should do a PAX – North and put it in Chicago. I mean, if if that's if that's not PAX spreading itself too thin, you think that there's room for a second E3 in Chicago? Possibly, but again, I don't know if the ESA wants to necessarily do that. I mean, they they were just fine doing this one yearly trade show, right? Right. So this could simply be okay because remember, it's just the ESA. The ESA is just that trade body, and I'm sure this is this does help their bottom line at the end of the day, but. I, I can't imagine that they are looking at this as a for-profit entity like Penny Arcade uh, is and saying, we have to expand, we got to do more, do more, do more. They could probably just say, all right, well, this is our one thing that we do as a you know, non-governmental body, uh, and if we just turn it into something that can serve the evolving needs of our publisher companies while also, you know, do some good public relations work mm-hmm. by, you know, having all these fans here. I can't see why they'd be upset with that. Okay, but would... Uh, I'm saying, like, where so is... Having like one, in other words, I don't see that they would even want to necessarily expand to another city. So that's they'd that was what I was going to say. It was like, if they're not planning on... Um, if they're not planning on expanding and if they're not planning on being the thing that they used to be and if they're just planning on being, like, the Los Angeles PAX... Where does growth come in? Well, I don't think they necessarily... Who knows if they necessarily want, like, crazy growth, right? Because even if you look at, like, the the E3 attendance chart, it's been roughly the same. Since it's a trade show, the incentives are different. They don't necessarily want more people coming every year. They just need it to serve the purpose... It just needs to serve the interests of the publishers that are part of the ESA. Right. Okay, and what and what are those interests to, uh, to like have a, a place for them to, uh, kind of like business. strut around and feel themselves? <laughs> well, remember, as a trade show, again back in the day, it was literally where they started it because they didn't want to be you recall, uh, at CES they didn't want to be the, this rotten stepchild CES, so they started E3, so they, the game industry could have their own thing, have their own time with all the retail companies have their own time to make their message to the press, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, as we've been outlining over the course of this discussion, those incentives have changed because the world has changed. Mm-hmm. So now it's more important for game companies to have FaceTime with fans and FaceTime in your, with, you know, uh, like on Twitch and shit. You know, Twitch, I'm sure, would have uh, a big-ass booth there and be running events from all these different publishers and people. Mm-hmm. So those that's really would be serving interests. I mean, you could make the argument that PAX is serving the business interests of the ESA's member companies better than the ESA is. Right, and that's what I was going to say. Like they, you know, the the only thing that PAX does, and maybe this is going to maybe this is going to change now that they've uh, they've got this um, the unplugged offshoot. But 
you know, basically giving um, everybody equal FaceTime, essentially, right? They right. they've got uh, they've got it, it's it's at least PAX East is set up where it's essentially um, a Neapolitan ice cream where they've got equal parts uh, um, dedicated to indie uh, indie devs, um, tabletop stuff, and uh, the big boys and and uh, perif- peripherals right are kind of like thrown in there too, uh, right. per- peripheral developers. So, um, are you so so is is E three just is that going to be the incentive? Is that is is um if E three is not going to expand physically and it's not going to expand in attendance and it's not going to expand geographically and it's not going to uh, get you know, bigger in that regard, it, they're really like, they're, they're only like concrete incentive here is to maintain prestige. And, and the only way they're going to do that is by, you know, uh, you know, kind of like relegating all of their time and energy to, uh, you know, people who've like quote unquote earned the right to be at E3. Um, well, like I said, I wouldn't call it maintaining prestige. I would call it just main, maintaining their members, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you are, I would, from what we have gathered so far, and of course, everybody listening, this is pure, all this is purely conjecture. None of us work for the ESA. Who knows what their end game is as far as E3. Right. But uh, I would imagine, you know, they see people pulling out like an EA, for example, Mm-hmm. And they really just want EA back in the fold. EA is a member company of the ESA. It's a very bad look if the ESA's big premier event does not have them as a part of it, right? Right. So to me, this would be more about, uh, again, placating the member companies than anything else. Okay, and so uh, how do you – yeah. Also it would be a, a bit of a boon because you talk about the Neapolitan ice cream of PAX – uh, here, most of those indie studios would not be a part. Exactly. That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. That's how they're going to maintain the prestige. Like, how do you keep Capcom happy as a as a member of ESA? You know, right. Capcom has a presence at PAX every year, uh, right. and they usually put on like a like a pretty cool booth. They got like a ton of merch that you can't find anywhere else, and they have got the big like Monster Hunter thing that they do, and you know, uh, they they. They have a they have a noticeable presence at, at PAX and they get a lot of FaceTime and I assume that they're at all the other PAXs as well, um, you know, East and our um West and, and South and Australia. So how do you appease Capcom at E3? How do you keep E how do you keep Capcom from saying, uh, you know, we don't really have the resources anymore to go to every single one of these trade shows? Uh, which one do we back out of? Uh, let's back out of E3. How do you, how do you keep them from making that decision? And I'm I'm just using Capcom as an example. I'm not saying Capcom sure. specifically. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, that who knows? Who knows what the the idea is there? Because um, I'm saying it's the prestige, right? Like you back out of PAX before you back out of E3. If you are, a, you know, just as an example, Capcom, uh, according right. to E3, because well, you will obviously you back out of PAX first because. It's it's just a bunch of it's just a bunch of slimy nerds like touching your stuff. <laughs> e three, e three is prestigious. E three, we only let fifteen thousand of them in. You know this is a this is a long running trade show run by like a, a prestigious trade association. Um, we've got uh, you know this is this is where you cement your place as a Capcom right a, a, as opposed to a uh, Adult Swim Games or something, right? Not to shit on Adult Swim Games. I'm just saying, like, if you're this, like, part... Big guy versus small guy, right? Yeah. So, like, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying is has got to be their their thing. Like, you know, there, there will likely be plenty of room for, you know, someone like Capcom to go to all of them. Sure, why not? Um, I don't think that that's going to come up in, you know... often, but I think that that's where they're going to, that, that's going to be their survival skill going forward is prestige. And that's, that's what I think. That's probably a good argument. Um, yeah. The only thing though, is that 
you have to think from Capcom's side of this, the the equation. You said we're back on packs first because it's a bunch of slimy nerds, but uh, it'd be a much more cold and calculated decision than that. How many slimy nerds are at PAX? About 100,000 of them. How many are going to be at E3? You know, about 20,000 customers and then a bunch of trade show people, whatever, whatever. Uh, in terms of raw, if you have to make a raw dollars and cents decision, you're leaving E3 first. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to your customer base directly. Those are 100,000 people that could buy your game many times at the show. Right. So, okay. Uh, let me try and make a like a non-video game um, uh, analogy here, which is going to be tough because I don't I don't know anything about anything else. But let's <laughs> except say, sports. yeah, except sports, right? And I'm trying to think, like, uh, okay, okay, let's make a sports analogy, right? And and I'm going to try and explain it so that um, so that the, the 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 unwashed non-sports masters exactly. Let's say, let's say, um. Because I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to make the point that this has to be their thing, right? Like, I don't the, disagree with you, by the way. Okay. I don't okay. 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 Good. But I'm saying, like, okay, um, if you're talking about like, a, the, but like the raw, the raw dollars and cents thing, like I'm trying to say, like, this is how important the prestige needs to be, so that if they come down to the dollars and cents thing, it's not the prestige that, would still win out. Well, it, not not that the procedure is still out, but the, but it it wouldn't be as clear of a of like a numbers game. There'd be like you know the like the untold, uh, like the untold dollars, like the unseen dollars. The the this like unseen cost of backing out of E three might be greater than the obvious cost of throwing our shit in the faces of a hundred thousand slimy nerds. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like, right, so let's say might- yeah. So I like let's say let's say the NFL. Um. Uh, falls on hard times, right? Sure. Uh, people, uh, people say, uh, you know, we we don't like this brand of football. We think uh, it's it's managed poorly. Basically, all the things that they're saying now and have been saying for the past ten years, but actually act upon it, and people stop going to games, and people stop watching them on TV, and like the the local affiliates start backing out of deals, and like CBS starts backing out of deals, right? Um. To the point where a couple of franchises fold, and the NFL is now down to eight teams. Sure. There's only there's only eight teams in the NFL, and then in 25 years, people are like, "Hey, you know, we miss football. Uh, I'm sick of watching these eight teams. This sucks." But um, we need something new. And then you know the 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 football equivalent of um, <laughs> of like uh, of like Tycho and Gabe comes around, and they're like. Okay, we'll we'll make this like uh, great uh, fan friendly version of the NFL, and we're gonna we're gonna do everything right the the way everyone wants to do it, and everybody's invited, and you have uh, you have a hundred thousand people going to every um, you know uh, Pax football game, right? <laughs> but the the stipulation in the contract is that you can have a team in both leagues, and let's say you're the Dallas Cowboys, mm-hmm. you know. You've been around forever. You're America's team, quote unquote. You've you've got all these Super Bowl wins, and now you're a part of this new thing, right? You're 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 part of this new league, and people are eating it up. You've you've you're playing by slightly different rules, and people are like, finally, this is the football we've been wanting for the last seventy five years. Thank God, um, we're all about this. But they still have a Super Bowl every year, right? Like right. you make it to the Super Bowl, like you know, you, it, you realize that like there's a I don't know like a conflict of interest with like a, like a calendar conflict with the Super right. Bowl with the Super Bowl and one of these other games. It's like, do you forfeit the game that a hundred thousand people are gonna watch, or do you forfeit the Super Bowl? It's the fucking Super Bowl. Like that's that's what I'm trying to say here. Is like is like how how does how does E3 be like the Super Bowl of Big well, see, important publishers. Something things. else here. Yeah. Because then I, you make me wonder how much does prestige really matter? Because two things. So in the example well, you laid out. Yeah. Well, I'm saying I don't have an answer. Like if I'm the Dallas Cowboys and I'm in this situation, like I don't know what I would pick. Well, I would say I still picked the hundred thousand because check this out. Okay. If if in the scenario laid out, remember the NFL is you know down on its luck, right? Sure. 
So I would imagine logic would follow. The Super Bowl is also not nearly as big a deal as it is in current American culture, right? Uh, yes and no. It, it, it's it's like um, I'm trying to think. Like like the Super Bowl right now is so goddamn big that even if even if its influence uh, were uh, sixty. Well, you're talking about how half the league is more than half the league is decimated. So I'd imagine viewership is pretty shitty. That's the thing, though. It's like shitty compared to what it is currently in 2017. We just had a Super Bowl, and it, it's it, the Super Bowl is always like the most watched thing in American history, history ever, right? right? So I'm saying like it's it's now like a very popular season finale, right? But it's got all this prestige. Like you're still winning a Vince Lombardi trophy, and and like you still get to say like I've won a Vince Lombardi trophy. Right, and that's still a big deal, even though instead of 117,000, 117 million people watching, it's more like 60 million people watching. But still, that's 60 million people, and that's still a Lombardi Trophy. So, well, here's the thing, because in my understanding, where a lot of these things intersect, prestige usually ends up going back to money. Yes. Because here's an here's another example. Uh. The Oscars. Okay. The Oscars is the, the most prestigious award show in all film, right? Mm-hmm. If you're an actor, you want to get an Oscar, right? Right. It's very prestigious. It looks very good. But aside from just raw competition in history, there's a very hard reason you want to get an Oscar. Because the Oscars are a also a very, very highly watched ceremony. Your name gets out there, and more importantly, your name gets out there in front of studio execs. People who win Oscars go on to get bigger roles and bigger paychecks. Mm -hmm. So the prestige is there, but at the end of the day, the prestige leads back to money. Similar thing with the Super Bowl as it currently exists. Yes, the Super Bowl is a prestigious event in uh, American sports, no doubt. But the biggest reason it's a juggernaut of an event is because so many people watch it that as far as advertising goes it's a complete bonanza yeah hence hence the famous you know two million dollars probably a lot more now for uh 30 seconds of of ad time on the super bowl yeah it's five it's five million dollars now see what i'm saying yep so prestige is great but at the end of the day the prestige leads back to money so which, so what you when you laid out your scenario, it really made me think about that, uh, which means that I really still would say that, you know, it, it becomes a it, when you really come down to it. I think what would happen is that you you put a, a massive effort to try to do both. But if you absolutely positively cannot, it becomes a hard dollars and cents decision. And that's always the amount of eyeballs. Uh, well, yeah, and this in your particular example, it would be amount of eyeballs. If we go back to E three, then yeah, it would probably be you know the amount of people, customers, you can get this thing in front of. All right, yeah, that's I, my that's how I look at it. I mean, that's that's uh, that makes sense to me, mm-hmm. but. It only it only leads me to the conclusion that if I were E three right now, I'd I'd be a little worried. Well, Not that I mean, and, hey, think about those commenters, right? A lot of those commenters said this is just a last gasp of a dying show. Right, and that's that's what I'm saying. Like after this, after this, uh, you know, forty forty four minutes of talking about this, I I've I, I'm now like kind of uh, with them. Like, you know, maybe maybe it is, and you know, uh, maybe there isn't much to worry about because. Uh, the video game industry is always getting bigger, and, and there's there's plenty of room for uh, a PAX and an E3 uh, right now, right? Um, but I think that if I were E3 and I were like, if I were just like modeling myself after the the present day con, mm-hmm. um, I would know that you know in one way or another my my days are limited, and not in like an existential way, like yeah we're all gonna die and like you know who cares because we're all going to be dead. So whatever. But I'm, I'm saying like in, in like a, you know, from like a business minded thing, like our, you know, E3's days have got to be 
numbered, you know, if if they can't... If they retool themselves into a a consumer-facing con, again, like a PAX, I don't see a problem. Because at the end of the day, the ESA, I'm sure this helps fill their coffers to continue doing the work they do. But the ESA obviously is still going to be around regardless because all the member companies pay dues to them. Mm -hmm. So even if they... The main thing that would be bad about losing E3 is losing the history of, you know, such an important event. Uh, but in dollars and cents terms, everybody involved, it goes away, it goes away, and that's kind of the end of it. But I don't think, as you said, it needs to go away because even if it con- continues to live on as, you know, another con, I think that's a win-win-win. You know, ESC gets money. The member companies will be happy because that's yet another opportunity to get this stuff in front of eyeballs. And all the thirsty consumers have another con to go to. Hmm. Well, uh, this is, I guess, one of the, uh, one of the, the, the rare uh, occurrences where Frog has a much more positive outlook on a thing than I do. <laughs> Uh, but that's, that's great. No, that's, that's great. I, I think that for now there's plenty of room for, for, uh, packs and a real, uh, and a retooled E3 along with all of the like smaller local joints, uh, that yeah, you can I go mean, to. If you think about it, Los Angeles really doesn't have much in the way of like gaming cons. PAX West is Seattle. Yeah. Um, at PSX, I do believe is out there. Uh, though they held it in Vegas the first year, didn't they? Mm-hmm. I think they did. Yeah. Uh, and from what I understand, Vegas is like a, a doable drive from Los Angeles. But still, like, you know, Evo is in uh, Las Vegas, uh, not L.A. Um, you know, a lot of the big tournaments and stuff. So, um, yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it would be nice for, you know, Los Angeles to yeah. uh, have something, you know, right in their backyard that they can actually go to. And it's not like we're talking about chump change in terms of numbers just of people in that city, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's also one of the biggest cities in the United States. So e- even if it became a thing where it was just like a local thing, they'd still be doing plenty fine. Yeah, I guess you're right. Um, yeah, so uh, so that's the story with E3. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add? Uh, what was the other thing I was going to mention? Well, we, 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 we touched on it as we went through the conversation, but the other thing I was going to mention about why E3 has had to kind of morph was uh, the rise of indie games. Yeah. Uh, because the rise of indie games has kind of thrown a monkey wrench in everybody's uh, collective machinery, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, in, indie games thrive on word of mouth even more so than big games do. Yeah. Uh, which has only exacerbated all the other tra- trends we were talking about, where it's people talking to each other and finding out, rather than you know screaming about reviews. People still scream about reviews, but it's much less hysterical than you know the early two thousands, where people start getting death threats if they gave games less than like a nine. <laughs> yeah, and we've talked about reviews here plenty. Like it's it's ridiculous. Um, speaking of reviews, I guess, I guess we'll end with this. I think that it is so amazing that Polygon has not released a review for Neo yet, but... Actually, I believe they did. Okay, did they finally do it? Yeah, because I just went to Polygon a couple minutes ago. Yeah, they have the review up now. What did they give it? Uh, let us see, because I didn't click it. Well, <laughs> the best... They the, gave it eight. An eight. 8.0? Mm-hmm. See... I think that it is amazing that they didn't give uh, Neo a review until after it came out, and they released a disclaimer saying, hey, we're working on it, but this game is really, really fucking hard and really long, and this is the, har- this is the hardest game we've ever had to review, and the review's not going to be ready in time. I think that I thought that was so amazing. That made me want to get the game so much more than I already did, and so I got, so I, so I got it. I got it. Meanwhile, I, I heard that and I was like, that was the, that was a, a giant not for frog warning sign. <laughs> See, for me, it was like, I was like, I was like, good, excellent. Uh, I'm like, yeah, that I'm was like, a great. neon welcome sign. Yeah. I was, I was like, oh, right this way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was like the concierge. Yeah. To be honest, over his arm. to be honest, that was the review for me. Because they 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 said they essentially said, 
Um, listen, this this game is so multi-layered and so multifaceted that we cannot go through our like normal way of playing it and then beating it and reviewing it the way we've done for the past however long. Um, this is this is like a very unique situation. It was essentially what they said. Um, they were like, yes, it's difficult, but it's all these other things. Y- you you have to like treat every single portion of the game like it's a like it's its own game. And I was sold immediately. That was that was what I needed to hear. And I'll read the review, but I'd never seen anything like that on a gaming website. And I was immediately like, perfect. That's great. That's what I want. Yeah, if there's a PC port of that game, I might check it out then. Um, yeah, we'll see. Which but, makes uh, me like, which makes me like question how. And this is another conversation, but like, how much time do they actually put into some of these games? Like, you know, that that take um, you know a hundred hours to like really, really know intimately. Like, how, like how much time do they actually putting into Monster Hunter before they're reviewing it? How much time are they actually putting into um, like a like a like a Rocket League or a or a Warframe or or some of these like you know, really, 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 like, long-form uh, difficulty and, like, learning curve-type games before they're putting a review out, you know, not just Polygon, but, like, all video game reviews, like, that are on a deadline, pretty much. That is indeed a very good question, and I think we should save that for a, probably a reviews part two. Definitely, sure. definitely. All right, well, that's... uh. That's a, that was a pretty good discussion on E3. Uh, we're going to have to see where where the next couple of years takes uh, E3. But uh, in the meantime, you can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't already. And you can rate and review while you're there. Uh, if you want to check out some of our written content, you can go to frogsnacks.net. If you want to follow us on Twitter, where uh, I, I tweet about video games, believe it or not, uh, we are at frog snacks if you want to look at pictures of uh what the two of us are are you know currently grinding through in our rotations we've got that going on on our instagram at frog snacks podcast and uh that's about it for this week and uh, we'll see you guys next week peace take care everybody